Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Everybody, welcome to church today. We're going to have a good time. My name is Justin. You can clap right now if you want to. You can stop right now, too. Perfect. Y'all are so trained. Man, I'm the next-gen pastor here. I'm excited that we're together, and we're starting a brand-new series called Win at Home. And if you're anything like me, you love to win. Anyone competitive in the house? Yeah, some of you. Like, competitive people have no problem raising their hand, because, like, are we going to play a game right now? Are we going to compete about something? Like, people I work with always tell me, like, you're really competitive. I'm like, I don't think so. I just believe, like, the great theologian Ricky Bobby said, if you're not first, you're last. So I'm trying to be first with just about everything. And, and sometimes it's really good, sometimes it's, it's really bad. And, and maybe you're like, I'm not super competitive, like I'm not like a sports ball person, like I don't do that. But take win and replace win with something meaningful, like accomplishing something, doing well at something. Like you want to accomplish something meaningful at work, at school, with your kids. You want to win in those areas. And for most of us, we wanna win at home. Whether we got young kids at home or we have roommates and we're 23 and we're single or we're empty nesters and we're like, well, our next stage of life, like we want to do well, we want to do something meaningful at home. But this is the problem, is like how do you know if you're actually winning at home? Like some of you thought about that, right? Like you're raising kids, like my family, we're raising young kids and like, I don't know if I'm doing good or not. Like, like people are like, you guys are doing great. I'm like, I don't know, like we could totally be screwing these kids up, we just don't know it yet. Like, they're six, five, and two, so, like, the jury's out on our parenting for another decade, probably. Like, if the wheels fall off and everything crumbles when they're in their teen years, like, don't become telling me how good of a parent I am. But, but this is reality. Like, there's no, there's no scorecards. There's not a scoreboard. And if you have those things at your house, you're definitely not winning because keeping score is not a really good thing. Right, there's no timeouts, there's not a chance to huddle, to like, okay, are we like, okay, like, I mean, maybe you do this, you're like, are, am I like screwing my life up right now at home? Like, you and your roommate get together, like, our house is a trash, like, I don't know what we're doing, or you get with your adult kids, and you're like, I don't know if we're winning at home, and, and this is just reality. While there's no scorecards, scoreboards, or like timeouts and huddles, there's actually a lot of referees or a lot of judges that are judging whether you're winning at home or not, right? And some of you feel the pressure of this, like, this is the other parents in the car line for pickup, this is your in-laws, which if you're in here, whether if you're in the room or online and you're in with your in-laws, like don't elbow anybody, don't look at them. Maybe it's your parents are like, well, I always thought by this stage in your life well, you would be this far along or, or, or you're looking at people around, you're looking at your other friends' Instagram and Facebook feeds and you're going to be like, their lives are so much better than mine. They're winning so much better. And you look at their highlights and you go, everybody else is winning and you assume that everybody else is judging you. And what happens when you think people are judging you is instead of really trying to evaluate if you're winning or not, you just decide to do what's easy, which all of us do is we just start covering stuff up. 
And we just start pretending that we're winning and pretending that we don't have any issues and pretending that, like, yeah, the mess that I have in my life, like, that is not even there, right? Like, you even, like, you post pictures and you're, like, editing things out and you're using filters to make you look younger or slimmer or older or whatever you're trying to look like. Like, you're doing all these things. You're trying to cover up your own mess that all of us have. It's like when you have someone over your house, right, and you clean up your whole house so it looks like people don't even live there. It right, looks like a model home for a new community. Like this is like, for Rachel and I, this is an area where we have, we have realized that we fight about this the most regularly is when we have people over the house. And not because we have people over the house, because the way things go down about an hour before, right? So this is typically the situation. And if you're there with me, then you can just be like, oh yeah, that's me too, right? Like we're having people over and I'm the extrovert, she's the introvert, so I invite people over because I'm like, I love people. I want all the people to come over. I'd have you all over my house if I could. And I come home from work and it's like an hour till they come over and I'm like, okay, so what do we do? And Rachel's in there and like, you know, if you're there, she's like cooking stuff and checking out the kids and making sure like the dog that I wanted, she didn't really want, but I wanted the dog, the dog's not eating something and like everything's going crazy and like it's rude to say that your wife is crazy, but like is it rude if it's true? <laughs> so like I come into this situation and she's like doing all this stuff, busy, all this stuff and I'm like, man, like I'm not gonna say crazy, but I'm gonna think it and I'm gonna go, you know what? The best thing for me to do in this situa- situation is to just try to offset my wife's crazy. So I'm just gonna mellow way out. I'm just gonna go slow about all the things. I'm just gonna be like Mr. Chill in the house, right? Like I'm just walking around and like, like if you are the person busy doing stuff and someone comes in and they're acting chill, like that makes you wanna say some things to them, right? Like you don't wanna call them crazy, but you wanna say some other things you probably shouldn't say in church, <laughs> at least on the stage from church, Right? And she gets so frustrated with me, and I'm like, babe, like, what do you want? Or, or the other thing I do is I'll walk up to her, and I'll be like, babe, just, just give me a list. Just give me a list. Like, whatever you want me to do, just give, give me a list. Anybody else need a list at home? Like, y'all, all the men in the house, you're like, yeah, I need a list. Like, yo, we are grown men. We don't need a, a list. Like, we just need to open our eyes and look around. So, like, then Rachel, like, I'm like, you, you, you good? Oh, yeah, I'm fine, which is not fine. And then I realized she's starting to do things, but she's getting louder the way she's doing things. Like, she's stirring stuff, and it's getting louder. And like that refrigerator door shutting is louder. And her tone gets a little bit louder. I'm like, I think I'm in trouble right now. And this is the reality. You come over our house and we're like, okay, man, they're coming in 13 minutes. We need to like figure out how we can be okay with each other because they're coming over right now. We need to like cover up a little bit of this dysfunction that we have because I'm an idiot and I'm not helping my wife. And for you, like now you're like, if you come over my house, you're like, oh man, I I didn't know y'all were fighting right before we got here. I feel so bad. Like we got over that. We're working through it. I'm smarter. I don't need a list anymore. She's trained me better in that. I can, I can arrange the pillows on the couch and get them right. Like, but this is just the reality. Like, all of us have messes in our lives, right? Just like you have a mess at home that you clean up when people are coming over. A lot of us, we have messes in lives that we try to cover up or clean up to be accepted by people and to really hopefully help people think that we are winning at home. And your mess might look different than mine. You might have mess like, like there's relational dysfunction, there's generational addiction or habits. Your marriage is hanging on by a thread, but you put out to all social media and all your friends that things are great. And look, we went on a date night. Doesn't matter, we didn't talk about anything meaningful and we looked at our phones the whole time, but like we put the picture online, like things are great. Maybe you right now you're walking through divorce and you're trying to figure out like how do I like wrestle with this? How do I go with this? Like, like you have some relational dysfunction between you and your adult kids. You and your roommate are at odds and you're not sure if you can go ask for help. You're in the middle of addiction. You're whatever it is. Like your mess might be different than mine, but the reality is all of us have messes. So maybe your question isn't how do I know if I'm winning at home? Maybe if you're honest, 
our question is, can I even win at home with this mess? Like all this dysfunction that I have, like I've messed up too much, I've gone too far, I've done too much, like, like I think that, like is winning even an option for me anymore with my adult kids because I was gone for decades of their life working, trying to provide for them, but I didn't provide the one thing they really needed was, was me. You're thinking, man, is it, is it too far gone? Your financial decisions that you've made, like yeah, you've made them, and here's the deal, if you made bad financial decisions, it just means that you're older than 12 years old. Because all of us made dumb financial decisions. But you're going, man, like these decisions, I mean, like I don't even think I can get my finances in order and I think there's only a few options. I'm just, I'm just really strapped and it's really frustrating, it's really difficult. And your question, can I even win with this mess? Okay, here's the reality. We all have messes and this is the time for us just to be honest about it. Like if there's one place that we should be open and honest about the difficulties of life, it should be in a gathering of believers, of people who say, man, we have the grace and love of God, so we should be the most gracious and loving people in all the world. But how many of us, when you come to church, you feel like, man, I need to put on this front, I need to cover up my mess, I need to protect myself from the judgment of people around me. And that's normal, and that's where we, we talk about this all the time. Like, we, we wanna be an alternative to church as usual, and not that all churches are judgmental or all churches are bad. Like, we love the church. I grew up in the church. The church is awesome. God's plan for the world is the church. But we don't be an alternative to church where you can come and go, yeah, I got all sorts of mess. I got all sorts of brokenness, and I can actually find love and healing in this place. Because I think even when you look through the scriptures, you also see there's so many people that have such a messy life. Man, it makes us look like, we got no dysfunction at all compared to some of these families. And there's a family in particular that's impacted your family that had some serious mess, serious dysfunction. And we're gonna look at their family because I think it helps us see that God can use their family and God can use your family. It's this, this husband and wife, their names are Abram and Sarai or Abraham and Sarah, right? Like if you've been around church or even not around church, you've probably heard of Abraham and Sarah. And, and when you read these passages, a scripture we're gonna look at, like you'll see Abram and Abraham, and it's really, it's the same person. Like there's a thing in the scriptures where people's names change, and it just changes because they have a little bit different purpose for their life, a little bit different direction, so the name would change from Abram to Abraham, or from Sarai or Sariah to Sarah. Like it's the same person, so even as we're reading this, like you can just think when it says Abraham or Abram, same dude, and this is the promise God made to him. He comes to him in Genesis, all the way at the beginning of the scriptures, it says that the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, from your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great and you'll be a blessing. Now, like Abram, Abraham, I'm gonna make your life awesome. And you're not just gonna have an awesome life. You will help other people have an awesome life. Like I'm gonna bless you. You're gonna be a blessing. I'm gonna make your name great. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. Now I know if you're here and you're like, man, like this is one of the issues I have with the Bible. This is one of the issues I have with Genesis, like God talking to people, like God doesn't talk to me, right? And maybe even that's a, a, an area where you're, you're skeptical or you're cynical of the Bible. You're like, I don't know if I can even believe this because like, did this even really happen? And what I tell you, even, even just in, res, in regards to this, this is one one argument, if you will, which I wouldn't wanna argue with you because I think that's pointless in building a relationship with you, but if, if we're gonna try to, try to talk through this, one argument I'd say is look at the Hebrew Jewish people. 
Like if you wanna ask the question, like, did this even happen to Abraham way back 2000 BC in modern day Iraq, right? Like thousands of years ago, did this even happen? If you looked at the, the Hebrew Jewish people, I think that's an argument for the fact that this did actually happen because the Hebrew Jewish people are descendants from Abraham. And as you look through history, they shouldn't be here. And you can look in, in thousands of years BC when they're in Egypt and they're this, this slave class of people and this whole nation of slaves doing all the work for the Egyptians and, and Pharaoh's like, man, these people are getting too powerful. What we need to do is we need to start killing all the male, the male children because we're trying to kind of like eradicate this people so they can't, like, they, they shouldn't be here because of that. They shouldn't be here because even you look through, uh, like, uh, and, I always get wrong with Greek words, okay? So bear with me with Greek names. Antiochus. Y'all can clap right now if you want to, Okay. No, no. But Antiochus, he comes and he's gonna Hellenize the Jews. So he goes and he, he goes and desecrates their temple. Like, like they're trying to eradicate the, the Jewish people. Again, then you go to Titus, a Roman general who goes in AD 70 and destroys Jerusalem and destroys their temple. Like constantly these people have, are being taken over by other powers and they're taking them and they're trying to spread them and scatter them all out over the world and try to intermarry with them to kind of like snuff out the Jewish people. You go to this, the Spanish Inquisition, you go what happened in Poland, you can go to Nazi Germany. Like you can look throughout generation after generation, the Jews for whatever reason continue being the, the area where people are trying to remove them from the face of the earth and for some reason they're still here. And they're descendants of Abraham and God promised through Abraham, I'd make you a great nation. But he gave really super, super clear, super simple instructions that Abraham, Abram, just go to where I show you. Leave your parents, leave your father and go to where I show you that you need to be. Really simple, really hard to follow the instructions, I guess. Because when things get difficult, this is what happens a little bit later in this chapter. It says that there's a famine in the land so there's there's, there's no water coming down, there's no vegetation. Now Abraham left the city, right, where there's all sorts of security, all the commerce, all the, the, the area where, hey, I wanna be influential, I wanna do all this. Like, he left that area and God brought him out into the desert to be a shepherd to show Abraham your security and, and your notoriety, all of is not gonna be from you, it's gonna be from me. So he brings him out to the desert and says, you're gonna be a shepherd, which is extremely insecure commerce economy at that time. And, and Abraham's around there, like literally, you could just have these dudes, like these desert pirates roll in and take everything and run off and like you're done. So he goes out to the desert, which is not a great plan, but God tells him to do that, which that makes it a great plan. And then, then he goes and there's a famine, there's a famine land, so he leaves there and he goes down to Egypt to live there because the famine was severe, like it's really bad. And there's two issues with this. The first thing is God didn't tell him to go to Egypt. He said, hey, go to where I show you. I'm gonna provide for you. I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna show you love. Again, I'm gonna bless the whole world through you. It's not just about you, Abraham. It's about the world. So he leaves and he goes to Egypt. The problem, the second thing is, while he's in Egypt, he starts lying. And he has his wife, Sarah, who Sarah is a good-looking lady. Like according to Jewish tradition, they said that compared to Sarah, all the women in Egypt looked like monkeys. So it's kind of mean, but that's what the Jewish tradition says. And she comes in and he says, Sarah, tell them that you're my sister because if they know you're my wife, they're gonna kill me and take you for a wife for whoever. So he's there, he's pretending to be his, her brother, which is just all sorts of strange. Again, they put the fun and dysfunctional, right? Like they had all sorts of mess going on in their life. And Pharaoh actually takes Sarah into his house. He gets sick. There's an infection all over the house. And they find out like, oh, why did you lie to us? Now, now here's just the thing. And this is something for you to just write down and think about this is for you to win at home, you have to be in the right place. Now, Abraham was supposed to be in the desert where God told him to be. He leaves there and he goes to Egypt where it's supposed to be easier. Like literally the grass is greener in Egypt. 
And for you and I to do the right thing, we need to be in the right place because it's really hard to do the right thing when you're in the wrong place. Now, some of you, you even are nodding your head a little bit because you think about decisions you made and messes that were in your life because you were in the wrong place and you can't choose the right thing very easily if you're in the wrong place. Even think about emotionally. If you're angry, if you're frustrated all the time, you're not dealing with stuff, you're not in counseling, which you know, I just celebrated my one year of counseling with my counselor Mike the other day. I'm gonna bring him a cupcake this week when I go and be like, Mike, we made it for a whole year. Like, yay. Maybe flowers too, I don't know. But here's the deal. Like, you're not dealing with your stuff. So you're going around being a jerk to all the people around you. You can't show love to your family. You can't win at home because emotionally you're not in a right, the right place. You're not in a healthy place. Maybe it's physically, you're exhausted, you're tired, you're overworked, you're stressed, you're not treating your body well, you're not resting, you're not eating, you're not exercising, whatever it looks like for you. And here's the reality. You can really have a hard time choosing to treat people well and choosing to do the right thing when you're just emotionally, physically exhausted. Relationally, you're not in the right place. It's really hard to do the right thing. And then spiritually, if you're a Jesus follower, spiritually, if, if I'm not in the right place, if God's heart and mind's not on my heart and mind, it's really hard to choose to love people. It's really hard to choose kindness. And, and for us, even if you're parents, I'll just talk just to parents. In this whole series, we're gonna talk to parents and singles and empty nesters and all, like, like at home, like no matter what kind of home life you have, like you wanna win at home. You wanna do something meaningful there. I wanna help you with that. But in particular for parents, one of the super practical things you can do is just share a meal with your kids. I don't overlook this. Like, actually, it's crazy the positive implications of simply your presence in the home, surrounding the table, eating. It doesn't mean it has to be a good meal. Y'all can buy pizza and sit down with your kids. But, but it will help decrease the chances of suicidal thoughts and depression. It will help decrease the chances of, of eating disorders, violent behavior. It will increase your kids' self-esteem. Like it's overwhelming the positive benefits of simply sharing a meal. And I know if you got teenagers, you're like, well, not my teenagers. They don't want me around. They hate me, I think. And here's the reality. Like, they very well could hate you. I don't know your teenager. But also, if, as you look at information and even studies have been done, an overwhelming majority, like 80% of teens indicate in, in various studies, almost 80% of teens indicate they very much enjoy sharing a meal with their family. Now, I'm gonna give you a little bit of insight here for your students, for your kids, whether they're, they're my age, kids, preschool, they're elementary, high school, is your kids want to know how much you love them and they will act in unloving ways so you have to prove that you still love them. So when they say things that are hurtful, when they push you away, when they try to stiff arm you and say, stay away from me, I don't want you around, like that is a chance for you to fight for your kids. It doesn't mean you fight with your kids, there's a chance for you to go, hey, you know what? I'll love you no matter what. And you can be a complete monster. I still got love for you. And you can do anything in the world. And this is the reality. If you had a parent tell you that, that is such a gift. And you will set your next generation up to succeed if they can hear that message. Because when life comes and when they have a big mess, and they go, oh, man, I don't know if mom or dad's going to love me through this. They'll have a track record to look back to to say, hey, every time I put up my defenses, every time I made them prove their love for me, they pushed through. And sometimes I was really angry about it. Sometimes I didn't really like it. But they pushed through and they showed me love. Now, now back, to, back to Abraham, right? If I'm God at this point, my dude, you're out where you're not supposed to be. I gave you like such clear instructions. How can you not follow the instructions? 
and you're out way over there and you're doing your thing over there and you're lying about stuff now. Like, if I am God, I'm going, man, I am just done with this dude. Like, I'm looking at the angels around, all right, angels, go out and find somebody else, some other family we're gonna bless, but this is, this is reality. Like, God choosing Abraham was not based on Abraham, it was based on God. And God doesn't back away, God doesn't drop and run and say, all right, I'm done with it. God actually doubles down. If you read through these passages, which I would encourage you, read through these passages of scripture. It's always important, like, read for yourself, because when you read for yourself, you're gonna see things that you can understand the Bible. Because I could get up here, I could get it wrong. I could tell you all sorts of crazy stuff. Right, but if you're reading it for yourself, you're gonna be able to, to test what I'm saying and go, okay, this is actually what it says. And, and you read through this again. You wanna feel better about your family? Read about this family. You're gonna see, man, they had all sorts of mess. And God goes in, even amongst the mess of Abraham and Sarah's family, he goes in, he doubles down. He tells them again, Abraham, I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna give you a child. The thing is, up to this point, they had no kids. And they're like well along in years is the way scripture puts it. Like they're 60, 70, 80, like they're getting old. Like, Childbearing is done, like the womb is closed for service, right? Like we're done. And God doubles down and then Abraham, in the midst of all this difficulty, in the midst of his mess, in the midst of all the pain that they've had of wanting kids and not being able to have kids, he still believes. And so it says in, in chapter 15, it says, Abram believed the Lord and he, that's talking about God, he credited it to him as righteousness. Now righteousness is just right standing. This thing I love about the, the message of the scriptures is your standing before God is not based on your actions. It's based on your belief in God's actions. Because for some of us, we're trying to earn our way to God. We're trying to do good enough. We're trying to, again, conceal, cover up the mess that we have. Hey, if I can clean up my mess enough, then God will accept me and God will want me. And God's saying, it's not about you achieving or doing enough. It's not about what you do, it's about what you believe about what Jesus does, and God comes 100% of the way with Abraham, even though he continues messing up. He continues missing the mark. He continues being a complete idiot if we're honest about it. And again, this is, a, this is an area where if you're skeptical of scriptures and you're like, I don't know if this really happened, like, y'all, if I was writing the Bible, I would not include this stuff. It'd be like the highlight reel, like Abraham believed and God gave him a child and it was great and everything's happy and they all got unicorns and rainbows at the end of the story, like every single time. This is where you read the scripture, you go, man, this is real life. So they're, they're waiting for this child to come, and they're waiting for this baby, and, and then there's still no baby. So Sarah goes to her husband, and this is really customary, so we don't need to judge them too harsh with this, but Sarah comes to Abraham, and this is, this is kind of, it's like a surrogate mother of their time. She says, hey, come here. She had born no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Now, let's not just jump over too quickly. Where was Abraham supposed to go? He's supposed to go where God showed him. Where did he go? He went to Egypt and said, he made bad decisions in Egypt. Now, here's the reality for a lot of us. When we are in the wrong place and we make bad decisions, those decisions have re reoccurring consequences for us. And sometimes, we just need to get out of that bad situation. And we gotta step away and go, okay, like, we're done with this. We're gonna cut this off and we're gonna move forward because otherwise, it's gonna follow you and it can follow you. An Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Again, this is where, this is like common. This is normal for them. This is a surrogate mother. This is like, hey, and what we'll do is we'll basically get her pregnant. We'll, then we'll just take her baby for our own. The problem is Hagar is like, no, I got pregnant. I am more valuable than you now, Sarah. Even though you're my boss, even though you're, you're the, the, the matriarch in this house, even whatever you are, like, like, 
in their culture, if you could get pregnant, you were more valuable. So now she's looking at Sarah and there's even more dysfunction coming because like, I thought this was gonna fix our problem. And God promised this. He promised us the family. And even for some of us, we're like, God, God's promises, he's saying that he hasn't, he hasn't come. And this is what I'd say. I don't think they doubted God's promise. I think they just doubted his process. And again, this is where for all of us, myself included, we get into so much trouble. We wanna try to claim the promise that God has for us, but we don't wanna go about the process that he has. And for some of you, you're even looking back, you're thinking about your life right now, and you're like, yeah, there are definitely, uh, I wouldn't even say regrets, I wouldn't even say like, oh man, it's horrible, like you're thankful for whatever it is now, you can see there, there are some positive consequences, but you go, man, like I see times in my life where things got, maybe they would've got messy anyways, but things got messier because I tried to go about it my own way. And this is what's crazy, is you read through this story, you see Abraham, it said it just a little bit ago, Abraham believed God. He was confident, like, like God, you said you're gonna be a child, okay, and, and maybe this is the way you're supposed to do it. Like, I don't think this is the way supposed, marriage is supposed to work, but okay, like, everybody else is doing it, so it's okay. And I think this is where we see a wrestle that Abraham has with, with doubting God. Or again, not doubting the promise, but doubting the process, and say, I'm gonna take it into my own hands. And for all of us, like, we have to just understand, like, doubt's just a natural thing in life. Like, you're gonna doubt all sorts of things. You're gonna doubt things in Scripture. In fact, I'd say you should doubt things in Scripture. If you don't doubt things in Scripture, I think, to be honest, you just kind of have a blind acceptance. Amen. And this is actually, this is interesting. I was reading through some scholars, and this is one, one of the guys said this, which I think is so good, because this is the thing. Doubt is not the problem. It's what you do with your doubt. Because a lot of times when you have doubt, even like think about this, even in your home, right? Let's make this real practical, like boots on the ground, tires hit the, the tarmac, like, like you have this at your home. Someone doesn't meet the expectation that you have from them, whether it's your roommate, your kid, your spouse, whoever, they don't meet the expectation and you start to doubt their love for you. That doubt is not necessarily a bad thing, it's what you do with that doubt. If you go to them and you say, hey, you didn't meet this expectation, can you just help me understand why you didn't do that? That actually can lead to a really, a better relationship. But instead you go, they don't even care about me. They don't even love me. They don't want anything to do with me. Man, they're such a jerk. They always get home late. They always do this. They always eat the last, whatever, like whatever it might be. See, the doubt is not the problem. And this is what one scholar said, even about Abraham's life and doubt. He said, while we reflect on Abraham's faith journey and our own, again, put this in your context. It says, it's important to realize the opposite of faith is not doubt. It's unbelief. See, some of us, we grew up in church context where if you had doubts, it was wrong and you shouldn't question anything. The Bible said it, so you just believe it. Blind faith, blind faith is not strong faith. And you're gonna get pushed around real fast by all sorts of things. And this is what he says. The reflective Christian, or the, the reflective Jesus follower will often struggle with doubt. I know I have. You probably have too. The certainty can only be achieved by a kind of blind acceptance of authority that suppresses questions and doubts. The church needs to create a culture where healthy faith growing doubt can exist and be expressed. And this is the kind of church we are. You can come in with your doubts, you can come with your struggles, and we don't wanna like leave your brain in the parking lot and come in and just smile on and sing, get some big emotional feeling. I'm like, no, feel your questions, feel your doubts. And this is why we also have starting points. One of our lifestyle groups, it's starting actually, started this past Tuesday, and it's actually gonna be, keep going, Tuesday is gonna be like five, seven weeks long, and this is a great place for you. If you have questions about faith, you're investigating faith, because we got people in there 
that like grown up in church, like yeah, like again, like a smile and nod Christianity, like yeah, Jesus is the answer for everything, and God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, salvation, like whatever, you just blurt out answer, you just smile and nod. We also got people in there that literally know nothing about the Bible, like nothing. Like how old was Jesus? I have no idea. Like, well, what about that? I have no idea. Like, I come on church on Sunday, I listen, it's great, I leave, I have no idea. So even if you're, whether you don't know anything about the Bible or you grew up with church, like, you will fit into starting point. It's this place for you to have a conversation about faith. And it's right here on site. We meet right over here in one of our rooms. And it's really easy to come. And the people who lead it are incredibly loving and gracious. Like, if you have questions about faith, come to starting point Tuesday, 6.30 here on the church property. Again, this is the reality for all of us. We look at doubt and we struggle with it and we look at Abraham and we judge him incredibly harsh, don't we? Like, Abraham, dude, like God spoke to you. If God spoke to me, I would obey. Like, really? Like, really? I don't think I would. And we don't wanna judge him too harsh. And this is reality. As Abraham goes through life, he's waiting and he's waiting. And again, if I am God at this moment, I'm going, Abraham, dude, you went to Egypt and you messed everything up over there and then you bring in Hagar and, and you mess everything up there. It's actually crazy. God's promise still went through that son Ishmael to bless and to make great nations out of Ishmael. But if I am God, I'm looking at Abraham, I'm going, dude, all right, first time, shame on me. Second time, nah, you're done. I'm gonna go find somebody else. But this is the beauty. You see God continually go back. And 25 years later, 25 years later, now let's, it's easy for us to read some scripture and go 25 years later, like here's just reality. Can you, can you think about this? And again, my heart, my heart breaks for some of you in this area of you're wanting a child and for whatever reason, God's not blessing with a biological child. Like that's so hard and sad and I'm so sorry. And some of you have walked through this for years and years, and you're going, God, is there something wrong with me? And you heard some idiot pastor talk about, if you just have enough faith, that will happen. Mm-mm. I think that we are broken in so many ways, and physically there are areas where all of us, that's why we get diseases, that's why we have these, like some things, like it just, there's no explanation for it. I believe there's actually, there's pain that we are not designed to feel, so we don't know what to do with it. And can you imagine 25 years of month after month, Sarah going into deep depression when her cycle comes because it means she's not pregnant again. And Abraham going, I wish I could do anything. I'm this wealthy, powerful guy now. I got all these flocks and all this money and all these people in my household. I got all this stuff, but the one thing my wife wants, I can't give her. 25 years later, and then God comes. It's not that he just showed up. He's been there the whole time. But he comes in, and he's gracious to Sarah, and he said, as he said, he, when the Lord did for Sarah what he promised, and Sarah became pregnant. She bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised after all the pain, after all the messiness, after everything, if I'm Abraham and Sarah, I'm sitting there and go, obviously God's forgotten us. Obviously we've done too much for God to still bless us and to remember that promise he made to us. Obviously we've just gone too far, we've done too much. Like God is not gonna be true to his promises and God is showing, hey, it doesn't matter about the messiness of your life, I will be true to my promises. Because that has more to do with my character than it has to do with your character. 
And this is just the reality. If you look through Abraham's life, you would have asked him at any moment, Abraham, are you winning at life? Abraham, are you, are you winning at home when you leave all your family, leave all your influence, leave all the security, and you go out into the desert and you're gonna be a, a shepherd or you're not really even sure what that means, you're trying to figure it out and there's a famine, like are you winning at life when you can't provide for your family? Like, no, I'm not winning at life. Abraham, are you, are you winning at life when you're in Egypt and you're lying and you're, you're making it out to your sister, your wife is your sister and like you're doing all this stuff and you're getting in trouble? Like people who don't even believe in God are calling you out for your ridiculous behavior. Like Abraham, do you feel like you're winning at home when Hagar gets pregnant and it brings this whole new realm of dysfunction in your family and you have to send your four, firstborn son away with his mother? Like, do you feel like you're winning at home? I think Abraham the whole time would have said no. Like, not at all. But here's the reality. Through all of this, Abraham and Sarah kept doing one thing that I think is so important that we need to do. As they simply kept turning and trusting God. They just kept turning and trusting. Like they had their mess and they go, man, this is really dysfunctional. This is really bad. And instead of me trying to handle this myself, instead of me trying to hide this, I'm just gonna turn and trust God and say, hey, like I just need to do what God calls me to do. I just need to honor God with this. Like I just need to do, like you're here with me and like I do have this mess and I don't believe I'm winning, but like I'm gonna keep walking the way you have called me to walk. And we can do the same thing with our mess. Because again, all of us have messes, right? And yours looks different than mine or maybe yours looks Pretty similar to mine, I don't really know. I don't know your whole story, you don't know my whole story, but, but we all have messes in our life. And this is really, this is the, the one thing I hope, man, if you could remember this one thing from today, whether you're a Jesus follower, where you're like, man, I just came here because someone's getting baptized, or you got baptism to happen right after the service, it's gonna be super exciting, we're gonna celebrate. Like, for real, you can clap for that, that's a good thing to clap for. Like, don't go anywhere after church today. Go get your kids real quick, okay? Grab your kids, because your kids need to see this. Go grab your kids and huddle. We're gonna be right outside. Online audience, our digital family. You guys, and we're gonna live stream it online, which is awesome. Our production team has been busting their butts. Um, I wasn't gonna go with that phrase first, but they've been working real hard, okay? So like, we're gonna live stream for online digital campus too. But here's the reality. Like, like, go get your kids and, and see, because there are people gonna get baptized that have walked through some mess in life. I go, man, this is not about me and this is really all about Jesus. And this, this is the same story that Abraham is like, even though his life is messy, God said, I'm gonna take your mess and I'm gonna share my message through your mess. But this is really, for you to win at home, this is one thing I hope you'd remember. For you to win at home, for you to win at home, really it's about how you handle your mess determines how you win at home. Like that's the one thing, if you can remember only one thing is how you handle your mess determines how you win at home. Now you can cover it up and pretend it doesn't exist, and you can have a degree of success, or you can own it. Just like Abraham did. Yeah, I made some dumb choices. But I'm gonna take, I'm gonna turn and trust God in this. And again, this is where we get to take the mess that we have and we get to share his message, just like Abraham did, just like, just like my friend April. I called April this week. I said, April, I got, can I tell some of your story? Because like, 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 I know we're not supposed to have favorites, but like, when I think about what we do as a church and the impact God made in people's lives, like, Mike and April are always at the top of my list. Like, it's so beautiful what God has done. I asked April, can I share? And she said, hey, my life's an open book. You can share with anybody. You can tell my, my, my name. You can talk about this. This is April's story. She grew up in church. Smile and nod. Yeah, Christianity is great, great, great. And then she finds herself pregnant, but not married which is really tough if you grew up in a church that really condemns that. There's a lot of us, like, you've been there. 
And this is just the reality. Uh, Sometimes churches mishandle things and and churches, people can regret stuff and wanna turn back from it and say, yeah, we we handled that situation about, like I have situations like, man, I handled it like an idiot. I wish I could go back and change it. But April found herself as a young unwed mother facing all sorts of humiliation and shame and condemnation. And this is, this is reality too. If I could just say this for just one second. We as a church have got so wrong when we are all about being pro-life and we care about the unborn baby, but we don't care about the unwed mother. Like, come on, like, we, we are pro-life from the womb to the tomb. That means we care about babies and wombs and we care about kids and sex, slavery in other countries. We care about kids in cages on our borders. We care about people being oppressed. We care about people making all kinds of money but have emptiness in their soul. Like we are pro-life and if you are not womb to tomb, you're not pro-life, you're just anti-abortion. The two are incredibly different. This is why we partner with Choices and Brandon. Like as a church, we give money and we work with choices because they go and they'll do sonograms and they'll talk to these unexpected moms and dads and say, hey, we love you, we care about you, not just your baby. And even if you decide to do something that we don't agree with with the child in your womb, we still will love you. There's a real big problem when we put ourselves in the judge and Germany and go, we care about women who save their babies from abortion, but we don't care about the doctors performing abortion. You're not pro-life, you're anti-abortion. Womb to tomb people. So April finds herself in a situation that she has to get married because that's just what you do. And she marries a guy and then really finds out really quickly, hey, like this guy is not a good guy. This relationship is not a good relationship. This is dysfunctional. This is unhealthy. This is unsafe. I gotta get out of this. And then she finds herself in a situation where there's more shame, there's more humiliation, there's more condemnation, there's more mess in her life. She kind of just leaves the church for a time. And maybe some of you, like you've left the church for a time because you feel like I'm too messy. But this is the message of Jesus. He comes 100% every single time. And this is the beauty. April came a couple years ago. The invitation of a family member said, hey, just come to church, check it out. And she, she brought her boyfriend, Mike, with her. And they come and they start coming to church. And God starts working in their hearts and lives. And April felt like, man, I love kids. I'd love to serve with kids, but I don't know if I can because of all this mess that I'd have with my life. I'm like, hey, as long as you don't have something in your background check that would disqualify you, like, oh, come on, come serve with kids. And y'all laugh, but like, for real, like, we, we have background checks. And some of you are better to serve somewhere else because of the decisions you made. You're still welcome here, but just not with the children, okay? <laughs> and she starts serving with kids, and man, God starts using her, and, and Mike starts serving, God starts using him, and both of them had traumatic marriages, and they were like, no, we're never getting married. Like, we're gonna pretend we're married people, we're not gonna be married people because it just changes them, we're just getting out of here. And this is a beautiful thing, man. A couple years ago, Mike got baptized, and Mike goes to April and says, April, I wanna do this Jesus' way, I wanna get married to you, because that's what Jesus want me to do. Not because it's what Justin wants, not because, hey, this is the church culture that we're in, we just need to do something. Jesus is working in my life and I'm going to turn and trust him with my messiness and trust that he can take this and do this. And this is the beautiful thing. April now serves as leading our, our welcome team for our kids' ministry. And do you know who she gets to welcome into our kids' ministry almost every single weekend? Divorced parents, unexpected moms, unwed moms, kids walking through trauma, Man, she is one of the most gracious and loving people you will ever meet. Not because she's never had a mess in her life, but because she's handled her mess and she's taken it to Jesus. And Jesus has done something spectacular through her life. 
And this is what's so easy, because we look at Abraham and Sarah, like they're like thousands, thousands of years ago, like God used them. We look at Abraham, like, well, she's like, she's like a unicorn. She's special. No, no, no. God could do the same thing through your life. And, and this is what I believe. God wants you to win at home because he wants you to bless the people in your house. But for you to win at home, you gotta handle your mess. Let me actually scratch that. For you win at home, you gotta hand off your mess to someone that can handle it. That's Jesus. Again, this, this is the, the message of God, is that Jesus came, God came 100% of the time. I think he chose Abraham and Sarah's messy family to show us you don't have to have it all together. Because if he would have said, no, you guys tried it, I'm gonna cancel that out, I'm gonna bring in someone that's perfect, we would look at them and say, man, I can't be perfect, and this is reality. You and I cannot be perfect. But God was faithful 100% of the time to Abraham and Sarah, and he will be faithful to us. That's why Jesus came and he lived the life we could not live. He, he checked all the boxes. He did not turn away from God at all. He constantly was in connection with God. He was God in flesh. See, Abraham's promise that God gave him that hey, will bless the entire world through you, that was fulfilled through Jesus because you take Abraham and Sarah, they have this baby named Isaac and Isaac goes on to father generation and father generation and generation and generation and generation and throughout the family of Abraham, finally Jesus comes, the promised Messiah, the rescuer from the beginning that was told to us that would be here. And Jesus takes all of our shame, Jesus takes all of our mess on himself on the cross and he dies in our place showing that he has a love and the grace to take all of our punishment, all of our penalty, all of our mess in life because you know your mess deserves something. And Jesus said, you deserve death, you deserve dysfunction, you deserve all those things and I'm gonna take that on myself. And he took the punishment freely and then he died and then he resurrected three days later showing not only that he was willing, but that he was powerful enough to actually promise what he said, and it was true. And he offers life to all who would turn and trust, just like Abraham and Sarah did, just like you and I can do, a welcoming place where you turn and trust Jesus. That's why we created this place to be the safest place for everyone and anyone, because we need this. Not just like you need this. Jesus says, come just as you are. Don't believe the lie that you have to clean your mess up. Come with your mess and Jesus will take you and Jesus can begin working in your life to change it and give you the life that God's called you to live and help you be able to win at home and win in the ways that matter most. All over the house, would you, just out of respect for people around, you can bow your heads, you can close your eyes and would you do something as we pray, would you take and would you put your hands, palms up right in your lap this is a symbol of saying you have some mess. You have some dysfunction. I don't know what it is and, and you don't know what my dysfunction is, but here's the reality. Like we all have messes and we wanna turn and trust Jesus. So just even in your mind right now, think of the thing that you, you believe is holding you back from God, that that's too messy, that God can't handle, God won't deal with, God is gonna turn away from. And would you just hand that up to him? Would you just trust that he can take it and he's willing because of his love for you and because of his power, he can handle it. And it doesn't mean that everything's gonna go perfectly and everything's gonna go away, but the reality is it's impossible to win when you're holding on to your messes. You gotta hand them up to someone that can handle them. God, do you see your hearts? God, do you see the hurts? You see the dysfunction, God, things that we have chosen, things that has happened to us, God, and we wanna ask you to take this mess, like we know you've promised you will. And God, we, we wanna take a step and just turn and trust you. And God, we love you and we're so grateful for you. 
I wanna take a second and just say also, if you're here in the house, whether you're online, whether you're right here and you're, you're saying, man, I wanna turn and trust Jesus, I wanna hand him my mess, I'm tired of carrying this. Can I encourage you, as funny as it sounds, even in this moment, is could you, could you text us? That's the easiest thing to do. Text center point to 94,000 and we'd love to follow up with you because here's the reality. The mess that you have in your life you can hand it, up, handle, hand it up to God, but the reality is you also have to walk it out here on, on earth and we wanna walk with you. God, thank you for being so good to us. God, thank you for, for using people like Abraham and Sarah to show us that you are good and you're gracious, that you come 100% of the time. Help us to love you. God, help us to deal with our messes so we can win at home. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.